Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me is one of my favorite guests from the old days on the Locked On Texans podcast. It's Troy from OverTheCap.com and at TexansCap on Twitter. Fantastic source for cap news and contracts. Great to have you on Houston Sports Talk, Troy. I know the website was a labor of love, the TexansCap.com website for you over the years. You know, you moved over to OverTheCap.com and, and really given a, a real sense of, of what's going on with the Texans over there. But before I get to the nitty gritty of the offseason and cap news, I've got to ask you where you are just as a fan of this team with how McNair and Easterby have operated things. And as everybody knows how the, how the whole situation has kind of gone off the rails. Well, thanks for having me on first, Robert. Um, it's good to chat with you again. You know, I don't get that emotionally invested in the team. I try to stick back and, and say and, and just analyze and look and I get the animosity that we see on social media and, and the and the fan base, you know, that the ties back to Easterby. And at first I kind of felt the same way, but now as we get through this process and we see Nick Casario getting some work done, I I feel better about the team than I did a month and a half ago. I feel like Casario is laying a plan down and and to, you know, to get right the ship and get the roster back where it needs to be. And overall, you know, at this point, it's just going to take wins. It's going to take time for the fans to come around. It's going to make for a tough offseason. I mean, really, there's no great moves that they can do without having some kind of animosity unless it's just a blow out of the water type of move. And we're probably not going to see too many of those this year. I'm fine with where they are now. You know, I, I hope that the Deshaun Watson saga plays out in a positive manner and he stays on the roster. I, I'm a big fan of his, but I, you know, I see where the, I see where the team's going. I I hear the things I hear and I'm not overly too upset about it. I think Casario has come in and put his, put his stamp on things and how it's going to go about it. I, I think Easterby is still probably given his input on certain things or certain players, but I don't think he has, quite the control that he probably had before Casario arrived and and that's probably a good thing so I I think they're on a good path it's just gonna for the fans to come around and to truly understand what they're doing and how it's working the team needs time you know we all see it you see on Facebook or on social media as soon as the team Twitter handle tweets something out I mean it's just constant hate messages behind it and hopefully the fans will come around and see where the team is going forward from here. What's the reaction you're getting on Twitter with Texans cap? Are are you getting a different reaction from the fans with all this stuff? Or do they just feel like you're your own thing and, and, and they just sort of don't, don't have the negative stuff for you? Well, I try, I try not to impose too much opinion on my, on my Twitter feed. I, I usually just try to stick to the facts of what the numbers are and here's how things are headed. And here's, you know, if I hear something, I sometimes I'll add that, but I usually don't. I'm not an insider. I, I don't try to be an insider. I don't try to break stories or anything. I just, as the information comes available, I can get it and I'll post what I can. And, but I mean, yeah, I mean, if I, if I post something about a certain move or something like that, there'll be like the David Johnson thing. I was a little critical of the David Johnson thing, but once I sat down and kind of analyzed it, you know, it, it is what it is. It kind of made sense in certain aspects and hopefully it works out going forward. But I get the same thing. I see, oh, this this is a joke. This is a horrible move. That you know, fire the fire Easterby hashtag. That I get tired of seeing at this point in time. And 
and I get, I get a little bit of it too. And I just, you know, try not to try not to interact with uh, folks that are, that are bringing that hate onto the timeline. It, I don't have time for that. And not many people like to deal with that. And I'm happy to always interact with fans. I'm just not going to interact with fans that are acting like that. How do you think this Deshaun Watson situation plays out? Do you have any guesses on what might happen? I've maintained that I'm literally torn 50-50 on this. I mean, I, neither direction of how this goes would surprise me. The latest Casario interview with Sean Pendergast and Seth Payne, he when they asked him about Deshaun, he avoided the topic pretty pretty well. I mean, he diverted the he diverted the conversation away from it pretty well and what does that mean? I don't know. And I'm not a body language expert or anything by the means, but the notion that I got from that interview was the team is focused on free agency and the draft. And once those draft boards are set, then they'll circle back to the Watson thing. And so I think nothing's going to happen right now. There's no point in anything happening right now. If anything's going to happen, it's going to happen on draft night because that's when you get the added extra year of being able to to trade out draft picks, you know, prior to the draft, you can only trade out two years, two years in advance, but on draft night, that extends to three years in advance. So that might open up some assets for any teams that are looking to trade for Watson. Now, I don't have a guess. I I haven't heard anything, haven't seen anything. Nothing would surprise me one way or the other. If he got traded, it would break my heart. And if he stays and things can get worked out, that would be phenomenal. I'm hoping that Casario is the moves that he's making will show Watson that this is not a rebuild. You know, this is more of a retool, turn over the roster and let's get it going in the right direction. And hopefully between that and just the new, you know, Casario and coach Coley, hopefully they can win him back over. Yeah, we could play the psychological Deshaun Watson roulette here for the next uh, few minutes, but I'm going to leave that to everybody else. I mean, I, I, I just... I, I, I'm not seeing it and in a good way. Uh, let's go through instead. Let's go through one by one the early Casario personnel and cap moves. And let me start with the first of two trades Sunday. Today, as you and I are speaking, it's Bernard McKinney to the Dolphins for outside linebacker Shaq Lawson. The Texans also moved up in the draft, exchanging their seventh rounder for Miami's sixth rounder, giving them four six rounders in this draft. What are the ramifications, Troy? for this move, both with a personnel, you know, philosophy to what you're talking about, but also from a cap standpoint. The cap ramifications were almost almost negligible between the two. You know, that McKinney left a one point five dead money charge and but Shaq Lawson's making I think one point four more million over the next two years versus what McKinney was going to make. So there's really not a big big change over between cash and cap. It's, it's a very minor change in between the two. I think, I think it's a net loss of 1 million at the end of the day, but it, it's, you know, with the changeover to the four, three system, four, three defensive system with Lovey Smith looked like McKinney was the odd man out. And many, many folks, including myself kind of predicted that McKinney was just going to be a, a, a release. So to be able to move him, and bring back an edge rusher, which the team desperately needed after J.J. Watt leaving. The team was desperately needing some outside linebackers, some pass rush ability. So this, this is a good personnel move on that front for sure. You know, looking back at Shaq Lawson's work, at least in the last year in Miami, I mean, he's he was a dedicated pass rusher. Some people look at PFF, some people don't. But I, I look at it and I look at their 
look at the numbers and looking at the pass rush productivity numbers, his was 6.5. And as comparison, Merciless was 4.0 and Jacob Martin was 5.4. So Lawson is a very productive pass rusher, and that's what this team needs. He's not much on run-stop defense. You know, he had nearly double the amount of pressures, I think, that Merciless had, if, I, if my memory serves me correct, after looking at the numbers. So it's a win-win, in my opinion, just from the personnel standpoint. And the fact that it was a near wash on the cap front is great. You know, the team's willing to, to keep the cash the cash output the same between the two players. Yeah, and as you said, pro football focus, numbers weren't bad. He was 25th among outside linebackers as graded out by them last season. So uh, that, that might help him a little bit. And just to get anything for Bernardrick McKinney and to move up in the draft, all good things. The second trade Casario made was Patriots right tackle Marcus Cannon in exchange for swapping picks in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round. With the Pats, the Texans drop 11 picks in each of those rounds. Cannon was second-team All-Pro four years ago. Really good uh, a few years ago. He has three Super Bowl rings and was an opt-out guy last year because of COVID, so he didn't play last season. He's been around since 2011, but didn't become a regular starter until 2016, which was his best year. He's not a kid. He's going to be 33 this year. What did you think of this one? It was a little confusing when I first saw it. You know, I I tweeted out, you know, is he coming over as offensive tackle number three or or is somebody moving to guard, whether it's him or Howard? And asking around a few folks that I talked to offline, it sounds like Cannon at least initially will will stick will stick as an offensive tackle. So he'll probably slot in as offensive tackle number three, and that's that's pretty expensive to have as your offensive tackle number three at seven at a cap number of 7 million, you know, he's just a little over 7 million on his cap figure for the year, 7.056 million. That number could go up just a hair bit more because he has some per game roster bonuses, but that's a very expensive number for somebody who's not, who may not be on the field very much. Now that's a, you know, great from a depth depth perspective, but I'm still having trouble correlating how, you're going to allocate at this point, you know, Tunsil's the $19 million cap charge. Now Cannon's seven and Titus Howard's three. Well, let me, let me just posit this for you. How about Titus Howard? I mean, he's played all over the offensive line, both in college and even in the NFL. When he was in camp his first year, he was playing guard early in camp because of uh, some various things. Looked good at guard. Why not move him to guard where they're bad. The guards were bad last year, let's be honest. And and I think they're going to have to improve dramatically there on the offensive line. What about Titus Howard at guard and leaving Cannon at, at right tackle? I kind of saw it the other way around. I didn't think Howard was very good at guard, you know, at left guard next to Matt Khalil. And I don't know how good, how good anybody can be next to Matt Khalil, but maybe he slides in at right guard and maybe Fulton slides over to center and that's your, you know, and leaves Sharpie at left guard next to Tunsil. And that's your, that's your preliminary starting five with Cannon at right tackle. And that's, that's something that I thought was going to be a possibility, but initial word around the, around the Houston camp is that he'll, he'll stick at tackle. So gives you a little, uh, coverage it gives you a little bit of play with the with the slots you know and we have a new offensive line coach and James Campen that you know so we really don't know what he's thinking as well until we get to camp but at the end of the day Robert the addition of Marcus Cannon makes the offensive line better even though he's like you said 33 years old 
he had he's had a year of rest after opting out for the season, like you said. So he should have come back on fresh legs. And the, the offensive line got better, so that's really all that matters. And now they just got to figure out the shuffling of who's going to be where to make sure it all fits together. Well, if they just got a tackle that's a slight upgrade from Titus Howard, not a big fan of that trade, but I, I think if Titus Howard moves inside – then it could really be a big upgrade for the Texans offensive line. I don't see Zach Fulton moving to center because of the next move that I was going to ask you about, because they cut starting center, Nick Martin replaced him. It looked like with Justin Britt. Did you like that move both from salary and personnel? Yeah. Justin Britt's an interesting, interesting name. He, he signed a one year deal. So it's just going to be a bridge option at the center. Like we said, Fulton, could slide over and play competition for center. And Fulton might not even stay on the roster. He might be a cap casualty when we come up on the new league year later this week. Justin Britt, he's the same thing as Cannon. You know, he opted out of the 2020 season, but that was was not for COVID, but he was coming back from injury and he just sat out the 2020 season so he could rehab. He was a very, very productive center four or five years ago. And he's, he came up in Seattle. He was a very solid player. He, had no problems up until 2019 when he got injured. So, you know, it's the same thing. He should be come back on fresh legs and hopefully that signing will work out. Just being a one-year deal should just be a bridge type option, whether they're going to look at the draft or, you know, look at free agency again, because his cap charge is only 2 million this year up front. He's got some incentives that could, knock that up to to three million and plus he's got some per game roster bonuses that totals 1.2 million so his cap number could if he plays all 16 games will go up to 3.2 million but that's you know that's another interesting signing that kind of just came out of nowhere I, I really didn't foresee that type of player being somebody they would bring in I think Casario is going to play the, the the compensatory pick game I wouldn't be surprised if we see more non-compensatory type free agents brought in or signed as we go through free agency. It's either going to be low-cost players or it's going to be players that were were released from other teams. Right, and here's the deal with, you know, one of the things we just didn't talk about a bunch with the Cannon trade was moving down both in the fourth, or not both, but in all three rounds, fourth, fifth, and sixth round, you move down 11 spots and the Texans... You know, I feel like that was something that they could have used all three rounds to maybe add some draft picks, but it's going to be harder to add draft picks, convince a team to maybe, you know, move up for a pick that the Texans have in those rounds, because now you don't, you can't move up a whole lot uh, where the Texans are in the middle of those rounds, as opposed to where they would have been at the start of the rounds. And, you know, again, they need all of the draft capital that they can get because this le- team was left so barren. So that cannon move to me, that's a it's a big thing what that means. If it's, you, you know, all you're doing is a minor upgrade with cannon over Titus Howard. I just I hate it. I don't like the move at all. It's just that you're an old Band-Aid uh, to, to, to lose a lot of draft capital in that way. Yeah, they're moving back, like you said, 11 spots. They'll, you know, I think they'd like pick 122, 147, 187 in those uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds. Moving back about 11 spots or so in each one. And that area of the draft, the boards between teams are are varied pretty heavily. 
I think you see you would see more similarity in draft boards in day one and day two, but once you get into that day three, the boards shift quite a bit between teams, and I I really don't think moving back 11 spots is quite that detrimental. I get what you're saying, that you want to have as much draft capital and it, it early in the round as possible, but I don't think moving back 11 spots on day three is going to be that big of a deal, and we always saw how much New England moved around in the draft, especially on day two and day three over the years. So more than likely, those picks are not going to be the final picks are going to be used anyway. I mean, at this point, they got, what, four six-round picks now. So they may use some of those six-round picks to move back up into the fifth or the fourth round, something like that, or pull in another veteran. We'll see how he moves around the draft, but the way they moved around the draft – with New England in previous years, I probably would expect the same this year. Yeah, here's my problem. You need to move down because you need to be adding guys. You don't need to be subtract. They need all the bodies that they can get, don't they? Yeah, I mean, they've only got, you know, if you count the unofficial signings of Christian Kirksey and, and Vernon Hargraves, they're only at 55 contracts. Even if they just didn't move around in the draft at all and they made their eight picks at 63 players to get up to, to the 90, that's another 27 players. And that's a, it's going to be a very large undrafted class this year. I, I tweeted back a couple of weeks ago that, that the different sizes of the undrafted classes for Houston under – Rick Smith, Gain, and Bill O'Brien. And Rick generally had pretty sizable classes, you know, anywhere from 13 to 20 undrafted players. But we're talking 25-plus 20, at this point, unless they sign some more veterans after the draft. Or maybe they move down in the third or fourth round, you know, move back and accumulate more draft picks, which is certainly a possibility. What's the story behind the David Johnson and Brandon Cooks redone contracts. David Johnson, he had $2.1 million in salary guarantees for the year, regardless of his contract was, you know, if they would have let him go, he still would have been eligible for that 2.1. They upped his guarantee to 4.25, essentially doubling it. it may, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's I know it's tough to swallow at first, but when you start to think about it, you know, 2.1, keep him around and give him a little extra guaranteed money to bring down the cap number because the cap number was a little over eight and a half prior to this. And now it's at 4.8. So the team picked up some good cap space in exchange for that guaranteed money. You know, he's your RB1. So I'm fine with the guaranteed money. They gave him a 3 million signing bonus, lowered his base salary dramatically, kept his per per roster bonuses in there. He also has another 2 million in incentives. It could get up, you know, a little over 6 million if he met through all the incentives. I don't have the exact details on those just yet, but it did generate 3.7 million in initial cap savings. Is what that's what the team needed when it when it's all said and done. What are your thoughts on cutting Duke Johnson and signing Mark Ingram? I think Ingram is going to be the complement to David Johnson. You know, David Johnson is going to be your three down back. He can slot out to wide receiver. He can catch the ball as we've seen later in the back half of last season. And I think Ingram's going to be more your between the guards, goal line, heavy, you know, needing short yardage work. And then there'll be times where Johnson can just needs to rest and Ingram can pick up where he left off and, and carry the ball just fine. So these players are getting a little bit older. I think 
David Johnson, I think, is 30, and, and Ingram is, is 32. So it is an interesting tactic to have that type of age in your running back field. Whether it works out, Ingram is he's relatively inexpensive. I think it was a $2.3 million cap charge. His deal is $2.5 million in cash. The team should probably still look at drafting a, a young running back in you know early day three in the fourth or fifth round to compete with Dontrell Hilliard as, as RB3. It should work out okay. I mean, Duke Johnson, the, the team never utilized him correctly. He was electric on the field when he was on the field when he got the ball. You saw how many missed tackles he had, but he just was completely mishandled, mis- misused. He was brought in to be that that third down back to slot out to wide receiver to catch the ball in the backfield. He was a good blocker. And they just never did that with him. It's it's unfortunate. And it's unfortunate that the team had to lose a third round pick to get back what little return they did on the on the field. And then it also talked about Brandon Cooks. I'd I had mentioned that early early in the offseason back in January that Brandon Cooks was a, a restructure candidate. So they, they converted ten million of his base salary to signing bonus. And then they added a uh, void in his contract. So now he's going to become a free agent after the 2022 season versus I think he was going to be a free agent after the 2023 season. So it lumps some extra cap money into the 2022 league year in exchange for lowering his cap number from 12 million down to 5.4 this year. So there's some good cap savings is what the team needed. And then he'll be able to see the free agent market a little bit sooner. So it's kind of a, We'll help you out with this, you know, in exchange for this. So it's kind of a win-win for both sides. Agreed with everything that you said about Duke Johnson. It just, I don't even want to talk about it because I get too upset about it. <laughs> what do you believe uh, was the reason, and this was a tough one for me. I, I didn't understand where this is coming from. What was the reason behind cutting John Weeks? Well, they didn't cut him. They just said that they're not going to re-sign him. He was a pending free agent. It sounds like they just... I guess they just want to go younger at the position. I, I haven't really heard too many more details beyond why they decided to move on. I mean, he was an excellent, excellent long snapper. You know, was always there, always healthy, never had any issues. wasn't any issues in the locker room from my, you know, from what I could see from my limited limited view. So the only thing that I could think is is maybe they just decided to go younger at the position. They have one long snapper on the roster, Anthony Kuka, but. You know, I don't think he's a a real shot at making the roster. I think they'll probably sign another undrafted free agent long snapper to compete and just move forward. All right. Did you like the Christian Kirksey signing? After moving McKinney, it makes more sense. I think when Kirksey first signed in, I thought, okay, well, this is the end of the road for McKinney. So, you know, we talked about that trade already. So I'm not an X's and O's smart person by any means but if he fits what lovey smith needs out of a middle linebacker then you know hey i'm all for it i'm kind of curious to see how he slots in if mckin if cunningham is gonna be the middle linebacker then is kirksey gonna be you know an off ball outside linebacker type player or how that's gonna work the value is fine you know at, at three million Base value, I think it can go up to 4.5 with incentives. I have to track incentives now with Casario because he likes to use those. Houston never used incentives before in the past, <laughs> so that would be fun for me. But Kirksey should be 
you know, we'll have to see. He was a good performer in, in Green Bay. He played in Cleveland before that. He was actually one of the benchmark contracts when we uh, did the McKinney projection back at, about three years ago. So at the end of the day, it's a, it's a discount and a cap savings moving McKinney out and bringing in Kirksey, but just leaving Lawson out of the equation, making that swap between them two, then, you know, if you get the same same or similar performance from Kirksey that you would have gotten from McKinney at half the cost, then that's what this team needed to do this year to get the get the salary cap back in order. I, I didn't hear at all on anything if they approach McKinney for a pay cut or not. He's been on the trade block rumor for, I think, the last three seasons now. So I don't know if they attempted to get a salary adjustment with him or if they just moved on with the trade. What about Whitney Merciless and the incredibly awful, disastrous garbage contract that he's got? Is there anything they can do about that? Right now, there is not. He is due $10.5 million fully guaranteed salary for the 2021 league year. Absent a trade, that's the only way they can get out from that contract. If they release him, he'll just go play somewhere else for the vet minimum, and Texans would be on the hook for a little over $9.5 million. You know, you just off, offset out what he would make elsewhere else. So kudos to Merciless and his agent, who at the time, Rich Hurtado, he works for the Denver Broncos now, but getting that early vesting schedule on that full guarantee, that guarantee kicked in last year. So I think they're just going to have to live with, you know, Merciless being on this roster. And I, I mentioned it on Twitter a while back, and Merciless doesn't have too many fans out there right now, and it, it came with a lot of, a lot of negative feedback. But I, I had mentioned that Merciless, I think, is due for a good comeback year. I think from what I hear... He's working really hard down in Miami. I think he got a little out of shape, a little overweight. One of the coaches said he had some COVID legs last year. I think he might surprise a few fans this year. I'm, I hope I'm right. I mean, he could completely disappear like he did last year. But more I'm curious with Merciless is where he's going to play. If my memory serves me correct, he played defensive end in college in, in a 4-3 scheme. So I wonder if he's going to move up to that type of role versus playing that outside stand-up linebacker role that he has been playing for so many years. The only other way, like I said, to get out of that contract is a trade. And you you see some people saying, say Deshaun Watson was traded. You know, God forbid he was traded. Maybe you could talk the team into taking Merciless with Watson as part of the trade package. You know, we really don't have a whole lot of evidence on trading draft picks for cash. You know, it's it's kind of frowned upon in the league. The league wouldn't let New Orleans make the Jadavion Clowney deal this past uh, last offseason where they wanted him to sign with another team and then send draft capital over. So you would have to send draft capital with Merciless to get rid of that contract. You're not going to get back. Yeah, and, unless, unless it was part of like the Deshaun deal. Say, say it's part of the Deshaun deal. You're still left... Am I correct with withholding the bag on his guaranteed money, right? No, the guarantee would shift to the new team. So they would just, Houston would just take on a small amount of dead money. They would, you know, they would just take on 4.5 million in dead money and it end up being a good cap savings of seven and a half million. So that's about the only way they're going to be able to do it is either attach a pick, maybe eat 
a little bit of money on a on a salary conversion to a bonus and attach a pick and send him off his way or attach him with another player like Deshaun Watson to get him off the roster. But uh, short of something like that happen, it's pretty evident that Merciless is going to be on this roster. Were you a fan of letting Will Fuller walk or did you want to give him a um not 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 an extension necessarily but potentially you know make him a uh what do you what do you call it uh <laughs> franchise franchise, franchise tag yeah. yeah yeah i mean it, the franchise tag for the wide receiver was was 15.9 million this year and i think that's above his market value i pegged him when i did a contract projection on fuller i, I slotted him in around 13 million per year he's a very very difficult person to gauge the value i mean he's you know he's got the suspension on on his uh on his hands he's gonna miss the first game of the season so he's back in that bucket of next suspension gets really bad if something if he were to get caught with the peds again and if he franchise tagged then you know whatever that number is you got to knock 116th off of it correct <laughs> yeah 117th yep yeah, it'd be one seventeenth off of there for seventeen weeks of the season, unless they add another game. But yeah, you would take off one one paycheck off of there. But even at that point, it's still it's still above the APY that I think his market value is going to be. I'd mentioned the compensatory game. I think Will Fuller is Houston's really only chance to get a decent compensatory pick back in twenty twenty two. So I think that might be something they're looking at. He may not find a very good market out there. Like I said, he's he's a difficult player to gauge because of his health issues, the suspension issue. But when he's healthy, he's a wide receiver one. He truly is. He can he can play all over the field. He can run the routes. His hands have gotten exponentially better than what we saw his first year, two years on the on the on the Texans. So, I think if you have a game plan in place to bring back a player that matches his ability or at least 80% of his ability at a much lower cost and that's something you have to consider. We don't have a whole lot of history to look at with Casario being in his first year here, but if you go back and look at New England's history, they rarely pay wide receivers. You know, O'Brien did not like playing did not like paying wide receivers at all and i don't know if casario shares that same sentiment but if we go off of the history out of new england it seems like fuller will move on and i'm not entirely convinced that he would even want to resign here to be to be honest with you so the problem for fuller is going to be the market the free agent market the heaviest position is wide receiver by far. A few of those players came off the board with franchise tags. You know, Allen Robinson got tagged, Chris Godwin got tagged, but there, there is still a good set of wide receivers out there that might impact Fuller's ability to sign a heavy contract. And during the interview with Casario, he mentioned something that myself and the other amateur cap guys that I talked to and talking to some agents as well, the top tier free agents are going to be COVID proof. Okay. They're going to get a very good contract. Once you slot down below those COVID proof elite top tier free agents, the middle class is going to get taxed very hard in this down cap year. And that's, that's the part where I have trouble slotting Will Fuller's value because he's not a top tier elite free agent. He's probably just under that. So is he going to get pinched? From a from a down cap year or not, I haven't heard if 
if Houston has any offers on the table for Will Fuller, I don't know. I've not heard anything, but you know, maybe they let him walk and bring back in somebody a little bit lower cost that might give you a portion of the same production while you still have Brandon Cooks, who's also a speedy player. And you know, maybe they maybe they option and look at, you know, like a Josh Reynolds type out of Los Angeles, who's a little bit bigger, bigger body and more of an underneath receiver. So that might be something they, you know, might be thinking as well. Maybe they don't need two speedy receivers on the offense. So I haven't really heard much on that. I think there's a very good chance that Will Fuller is gone and just see whatever he earns out there and best to him. I hope he gets a great contract and gets all the money in the world. Finally, I want to get you to project the future a little bit and tell me maybe some other roster gymnastics uh, cap machinations that Casario might do here in the next few days to the next few months. Yeah, there's some rumblings that they're, they're not done. Whether that's trades, releases, I think you're going to see a bevy of moves over this coming week. So they've, they still have three restricted free agents that they need to take care of or figure out what they need to do with uh, the tight end, Farrell Brown, defensive tackle, P.J. Hall, and safety, A.J. Moore. I thought that they would probably be able to do some one-year deals with those guys because the, the lowest tender is $2.13 million if they tendered them at the lowest value. And I thought they might be able to do something similar to how they handled Buddy Howell and, and Dontrell Hilliard by tossing a little bit of guaranteed money their way in exchange for a lower contract because the refer- the RFA tender is not guaranteed by any me- by any means at all. I mean, they they could get cut the day before the season and, and there's no money involved. So those three players, from what I hear, they want all three of them back. Farrell Brown is somebody they really need to look at coming back. PJ Hall, he can be a, a very good defensive tackle. He's just he's a little short, but I think that's somebody they're looking to bring back. And AJ Moore, he was an extension candidate last offseason. They were trying to, I think they were trying to get him done on an extension. And he said no. It's one of those times where he it might have actually backfired because he had a worse season, especially getting injured. So we got those three players the team needs to either tender if they don't extend a tender to them or get a contract done. They'll become free agents on Wednesday. They have uh, an exclusive rights free agent, Geno Stone. He'll get tendered at some point in the next couple of days. As an exclusive rights free agent, he can only negotiate with Houston. He cannot negotiate with anybody else. If he's not tendered by 4 p.m. on Wednesday, then he'll become a free agent, but I'm pretty sure they'll tender him. So looking at cuts, some more roster cuts that might come down. You got Darren Fells. I think that's a very real possibility. You know, he doesn't bring a whole lot of savings, but he offers 2.3 million in savings. And if you bring back Farrell Brown, what the RFA that we just spoke about in conjunction with Jordan Aikens, there's just not many snaps for Darren Fells. And I think they can probably go younger at the position. I mean, Fells, he's not a very good blocker anymore. He wasn't the red zone target like he was the year before. So I think that's one player that might be gone. Brandon Dunn, interior defensive lineman he offers up a decent amount of savings 3.1 million in cap savings for the production that you're getting out of him his cap charge of 4.1 million with a cash value of 3.75 you can find ways to get cheaper there he's just not offering the 
the performance that matches that. I won't have a whole lot of respect for Casario if Zach Fulton is still on this roster at the beginning of the season. It says $750,000 cap hit, $3.75 million uh, total. So you save yourself $3 million, but more importantly, you just get somebody better. Yeah, that was my next name that was on my list here. And I he has a $1 million roster bonus that's set to be paid on March 22nd on the fifth day of the league year. So a decision will come before that day. It may not come before the start of the league year, but it'll a decision will be made by that date. And I agree with you. I think he will be let go and they just need to there's some guard there's some good guards on the on the free agent market. And you know, I think at this point, depending on what they do with Howard, you know, if they shift him over to guard, you at least still need to sign some guards either way it's depth or not. And I think, I think Fulton, I think it's just time to, to move on. And I, you know, Brett Cavalli, they've had some discussions with him from my understanding, just some preliminary. I think he wants to come back, but Fulton's definitely on the radar for a release. Like you mentioned, only 750,000 in dead money. And then a couple other names I'll throw out there that I've heard some stuff on. I've heard, the team was sniffing around punters. And I can't this one this this one came from outside of Houston from uh somebody I trust up on the northeast. So Houston started sniffing around on punters. So that makes me wonder if Brian Anger is somebody that might be on the on the release block. He's uh two point nine million cap charge this year, a little over two million in savings. So that's a, a one name to keep an eye on. And then the last one is Bradley Roby. I'm not sure how he's going to fit the zone scheme that Lovey Smith plays. You know, Roby's very good in press man coverage. But moving over to this zone scheme, I'm not entirely sure that's going to fit his skill set. And in, in addition to that, his guaranteed salary is in default. He was due, he had an $8 million salary guarantee for 2021. But as part of his suspension, since he since that suspension carried over into to 2021, he's going to miss one game. I reviewed his contract and he will be in default of that $8 million salary guarantee. So Houston could get out of that contract with only $2 million in dead money, saving 8.2. Maybe they could trade him, you know, and, and at least get like some kind of day three pick, like a six rounder or something like that for him and, and try to get younger. But I'm I'm not entirely sold on Roby being moved, whether it's a release or a trade, but there's some rumblings out there. And I just, you know, kind of want to put that on folks radars that that might might happen. And that's that's some of the players that I think we might see move on. You know, Eric Murray, he's got a salary guarantee as well this year, but it's not as large. I mean, he's a 7.4 cap hit, and his salary guarantee is $3.5 million. So they would save like $960,000 if they cut him on the cap. But, you know, you got to look at it and see if, if there's – are you going to get some similar performance for him at the same cost – you know, if it's literally almost no savings in, in the cap on the cap side of it, maybe you save a little bit on cash. You know, he 
if he if he was let go and went and signed somewhere else, he'll sign. He would only sign probably for the vet minimum. So there'd be a little offset from that three point five salary guarantee. But I don't know that that he's out. You know, as a possibility for a roster move. But I think the five names that we talked about with Fells, Dunn, Fulton, and then maybe Anger, maybe Roby. That's where, if anything's going to happen, I think it's going to happen with some of those players. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to notice if Eric Murray is gone and a, a guy that you wish you could just cut because he's making way too much money on the list is Kaimi Fairbairn, who's making $4.2 million, but you can't do it because they signed him to a guaranteed contract that makes this year this a bigger cap hit uh, or a bigger dead cap than, than a cap hit. Uh, <laughs> It's it's bad. Yeah, you go backwards by like it's a it's a wash. I mean, you go backwards by like fifty grand. And I mean, he. This is one of those other ones where. And this is my opinion when I say this. I don't. I didn't hear this from anybody or anything like that. But this is what happens when you have a coach playing GM. I think. I think O'Brien generally meant well. I think he wanted to take care of his players. And I think that's why you saw the Nick Martin contract. You saw the Kaimi Fairbairn contract. You saw the Whitney Merciless contract. I think, you know, the Rand- Randall Cobb contract. I mean, I don't think Houston was bidding against anybody on Randall Cobb when they did that contract. Were they bidding anybody against anybody with Eric Murray? <laughs> Same. And, you know, and I, I think just my just my own personal opinion, I think he just wanted to take care of players and by doing so, he gave out bad contracts. And Kaimi is another instance of that. He's still, I think, the third highest paid kicker in terms of APY across the league. And is he the third best kicker in the league? No. I mean, he's a decent kicker, but not for what you're paying him, not for $3.5 million this year on cash that you're going to give him. And you know, you could probably find somebody half the cost to to do that, but we'll see what happens. I mean, it, it's a I haven't heard his name mentioned at all, but maybe they bring in, you know, an undrafted kicker to at least try to push him. And you know, if they have to move on, they have to move on. It just it is it is on the cap, but hopefully, hopefully it doesn't get that drastic. But that's just one of those another one of those contracts that just didn't, didn't make sense. You know, I'd, you know, Chris Olson used to do the contract negotiations for this team and he was very good at it. And I think there's another personal opinion of mine. I think the Nick Martin deal was the, the last straw for him. I think, I don't think he wanted to do the contract like that. And I think they were trying to get DJ reader done and they were trying to get Nick Martin done and reader said, no, Nick Martin said yes because he was going to make him the third highest paid center, and shortly after that, that is when you know Olson headed out, and that's when we started seeing this rash of overvalued contract. And hopefully, I think Casario is going to be much, much better. From my understanding, he's doing the contract negotiations. Easterby is not doing them anymore, and I think Casario is going to be able to manage that contracts in a much better fashion, just like he did in new England. He was very good at it in conjunction with bill Belichick. And I think he's going to bring a lot of that, that expertise over here and, and get the, get the salary cap back in order. 
going forward. I I have I do have strong confidence in Casario. Everything. I mean, there's you know the the David Johnson deal was kind of odd, and I'm still trying to fill through this Mark and, Marcus Cannon trade, but for the most part, everything Casario has done so far, I haven't had an issue with. I think I think he's going to be a very good GM. I think the fans just need to give it time and let him do what he does and get this team back going in the right direction. I think he's going to surprise fans, you know, especially the fans that don't dig into it as hard as I do. I think once, once this, once we get through free agency and draft, I think the fans might have a different opinion of this team. Yeah. Well, here's, here's where I'm going to disagree with you a little bit because I just don't think he's going to be that good at drafting. I, I agree with you. I have a lot of confidence that he knows what to do with money and knows what to do with guys because the Patriots, you know, always did well with those guys. But the drafting part, you know, I, I, I just don't see it. I don't see it from what they've been doing the last decade in New England. Um, I, I don't know if he knows what he's doing. We're, we'll find out pretty quickly because we need some guys that can contribute to this team immediately. Yeah, we, we know who, you know, Belichick had the final say on the draft. I'm not saying this happened every time, but there was – a time or two rumor has it that the scouting department, which Casario was heavily involved in had a name ready to go, a specific name ready to go. And Belichick went in a different direction. Not saying that that's happened all the time. And what I'm not saying that fully exonerates Casario. Cause I do agree with you. The draft history for new England has not been pretty, you know, I think we can give him a, give him a fair shake here and hopefully he'll surprise us in the draft come this year, but at least for free agency so far, and how he's managing going forward, I, I, I think he's on the right path. I'm very curious. I like I said earlier, I think he's going to be very busy this week, turning over this roster without taking on additional cap. I think he's a very smart individual on that front. You know, I'm just excited. I mean, the new league year starts on Wednesday at four p.m. at four, uh, three p.m. our time, four p.m. Eastern. So just for everybody's knowledge, so. The legal tampering period starts at noon tomorrow, 11 o'clock our time. And that's when teams can legally start talking to players. I say that with air quotes because they've been legal, illegally talking with players for quite some time. But come Friday, uh, Wednesday at 3 p.m. is when the new league year starts. That's when all their tenders need to be in on the re- restricted free agents. That's when they need to be cap compliant, which they are. They're already at. 13 and 13 and some change. So nothing to be concerned about on that front, but that's these next two days are going to be very hot and heavy. I think you're going to see a lot of movement with Houston, both players going out and players coming in. The one thing as a Texan fan, and I'm still trying to hang on to be a Texan fan, but it's, it's, I'm barely, I'm hanging on by fingernails and toenails. Like we could talk about getting the mask off and being able to breathe again when we walk around in the world. But as a Texans fan, we're not going to be able to breathe until Deshaun stays on the roster. And I, I, you know, I, I, we could talk all day about these little things, Troy, about this little move and that little move and that he's doing a good job as a general manager. But we know as being a long time suffering Houston NFL fan, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you don't have a franchise quarterback, you don't have a shot to win the brass ring. And if you get rid of that guy, it's going to take years, not one year, not two years. 
it's going to take several years before you have a quarterback that's good enough to win a championship. We're talking about a five-year rebuild, a six-year rebuild. We're not talking about a one- or two-year rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. It's If they move Watson, the, that's definitely going to turn the fans back against the team, or at least the fans that were still giving the team a shot. And that will sink the fan base. That will probably sink some of the roster, you know, some of the locker room. And, there, I, you know, there's just no way you can convince me that you're going to draft – even you know, say they traded the with Jets and got the number two pick. I mean, you, it's an unsure thing. That is a literally a coin, a coin toss. If you're gonna say they drafted Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson, that is literally a coin toss if he's gonna be any good or not. And if he is, it's an even worse odds that he's gonna be even near as good as Deshaun Watson has been. So yeah, the team needs to be doing everything in their power to win him back over, and hopefully. Casario and Coley can manage that and get him back in the fold. I, you know, I don't know if we don't get any resolution by draft night and Watson is still on this team after the draft is over. That means that both sides have really dug in their heels and I don't know what's going to happen after that. I, you know, it sounds like Watson's going to sit at, sit out for some good time, but Maybe, maybe, maybe he'll see the draft and maybe Watson will come around and, and see where this team is headed. And maybe that's something he wants to be a part of. If the draft doesn't go well in his eyes and free agency doesn't go well in his eyes and he sees that this is not something he wants to be a part of, then yeah, it's not going to be a good look for Casario. He could sign all the players in the world. And if he ends up trading away Watson, he's going to have a very long road ahead of him to win back the fan base I mean, it doesn't matter who you draft, who you sign. If you get rid of Watson, it's going to be a rough sled for a good time, like you said, years to win it back. Well, that was Troy from OverTheCap.com, Texans Cap on Twitter. Always good to talk with you, Troy. Thanks so much for doing this and taking taking the time and going over all these machinations that the Texans are doing these days. I appreciate the time, Robert. Thanks for having me on. Before we close things out, I want to remind everybody that Stephen and I will be on the podcast in a couple of days. We're going to go over Astros, Rockets, Cougars, all the rest of Houston sports. So make sure and check that out. Also, remind everybody that you can always message us through Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net if you want to get in hold of us for any feedback or suggestions, questions, or topics. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. <laughs> You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.